Welcome to Out of Curiosity. Consider us your field guide for queer pride. You will hear from the best of the best in terms of queer business leaders, queer relationship experts, the activists working to protect us all, and everyday LGBTQ plus people that have figured a few things out so you don't have to. Out of Curiosity is brought to you by the Pride and Joy Foundation. Let's do this. Hey fam. Well, I don't care when you're listening to this, it's been a hell of a month. And the thing is, no matter what health or political craziness is happening in the world that is draining us of all capacity, we still have interpersonal issues. Always. Family drama is always there. No matter what's happening in our lives. Because we're human. We're wired to connect, and sometimes it feels like we're wired to piss each other off. (laughs) Especially when it comes to family drama which is exactly why I'm so excited for you to hear from Dr. Lynetta Willis. She spoke at our Pride and Joy Summit about addressing intergenerational trauma in our families, as well as in our individual lives. She shares an incredible framework for identifying intergenerational trauma and dealing with it. It's also available on her website, and the link will be in our show notes, so don't stress about taking notes if you're driving or out on a walk while you're listening. She begins with examples of intergenerational trauma that Black families might be experiencing and extends it out to queer members of families that might also be experiencing intergenerational trauma. She tells story after story that is so relatable so that by the time you get to the end of the episode, you know the framework and how it can be implemented. This is so actionable, which if you know me, you know I love a good action item list. Bullet points are my BFF. Action items help me feel in control in the midst of a completely out-of-control world. Can you relate? At the end of her talk, you'll hear that I was able to ask her a few questions and gain even more awareness about how to go from triggered to transformed, which also happens to be the name of the incredible program that Dr. Willis leads for families. Another link in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Queers in the Country, a three-day LGBTQ plus meetup in April 2022, hosted by a lesbian-owned venue in rural Kentucky. This amazing festival is raising funds for Pride and Joy Foundation. Overnight and day passes are now available. Just visit queersinthecountry.com to learn more. And now, I give you Dr. Lynetta Willis. Ah, I love deep breaths. Let's take a deep breath. (laughs) I was standing in front of my grandmother's big farm sink. I can still see the yellow and white flowers on the wallpaper. I was home from college. It was one of the most exciting and confusing times of my life. My two-year-old little sister was sitting behind me at the counter, and she was whining and fussing and fussing and whining, and she whined so much until I just couldn't take it anymore. I turned, I glared at her, and I growled, don't make me come over there. I am so angry, I could smack you right now. Then I got to watch my sister's face crumble as it hit me like a Big Mac truck. In the blink of an eye, I went from being my two-year-old sister's safe person 
to someone who had just violated her safe space. Now, where had I seen this play out before? Yeah, I remember this exact scene, only it was my two-year-old face crumbling when the same words were growled at me. And when I asked those who came before me, they shared similar scenes playing out in their young lives. An intergenerational trauma experienced many generations ago had become my generation's drama. And it played out that day in my grandmother's kitchen between myself and my two-year-old little sister. Not long after that incident, I made a commitment to once again become that safe space for my sister. I also set the intention to become her lighthouse or guide that could model for her a new way of being in those overwhelming moments when the old dramas we'd learned were begging to be played out. It is possible to transform the dramas and become that safe space for the people who depend on us. Now, you may be thinking, my childhood, Lynetta, wasn't the worst, so I feel kind of guilty and ungrateful when I think about being angry with my parents. I felt that way too. I know I was raised by amazing, powerful men, and especially women, who did their absolute best with what they knew. And for that, I am beyond grateful. I wouldn't be who I am or where I am, speaking here today even, if it weren't for them. And I also want to respect and acknowledge those younger parts within me that need their truths and stories acknowledged. If my kids came to me years from now and said, mom, you did a lot of things right. Thank you. Good job. Sticker for you. And you did some things that I'd never want to repeat with my kids. I'll be honest. If they said that to me, my ego would be hurt. But my hope is that after I threw my mini tantrum, that I take their words, not as a form of reverse shaming, but as an honor. I'd want to reframe their feedback as their desire to make our legacy even better for future generations. Now, that's something I can get behind. And I'd like to imagine that our ancestors, wherever they might be in this vast universe, can get behind as well. Many years later, I became a psychologist because, you know, I believed that the best way to heal your stuff without actually dealing with it was to get a degree in it and help others heal their stuff. You know, like healing by osmosis. Yeah. Spoiler alert, didn't work. Still had to deal with my stuff. Just FYI, if you were considering. Yeah. What I did learn through my professional and personal journey was how to practically unleash from one's legacy and to acknowledge and unhook yourself from the unhelpful family patterns that are showing up in your life so you can live a new legacy that you want to model and leave for your children in future generations. My journey led me to create a framework that I use as a family empowerment coach with my clients. It's called the Paths Relationship Framework. And you can get this entire framework and little exercises that you can do by going to healingstablemisery.com healingstablemisery.com. I have had the honor of working with countless individuals and families over the past 20 plus years. And I'm about to share with you some of their stories. 
But I want you to know that I've changed names and some of the details because I take their trust in me very seriously and I will always honor it. So while many of us can intellectually understand the concept of intergenerational trauma or those traumatic events experienced in one generation that impact later generations, if you're anything like me or the clients that I work with, it can be kind of hard to really sense or own the impact of that trauma in your life, especially if it occurred many, many generations ago. So to make the intergenerational impact more emotionally accessible, I refer to it as intergenerational drama, because really, truly, can we all relate to family drama? I've learned through my work as a trauma specialist that trauma is an event or a series of events that occurs in an individual's life. And these events or series of events, they impair their one's ability to function or relate in some way. Now, there are indeed times when the actual trauma is repeated from one generation to the next. And there are other times when the actual trauma is not repeated, but aspects of it are passed down from one generation to the next. My client, Andrea, knew her great-grandmother who had been a victim of slavery. Andrea said that her great-grandmother's trauma manifested as a deep mistrust, hate, and fear. Now, the trauma itself was not experienced by Andrea. Andrea had never been enslaved. But what was experienced by Andrea were the patterns, the habits, the mindsets, the beliefs, the emotions, and even the body sensations that her great-grandmother developed in response to the unspeakable trauma she experienced while enslaved. More specifically and understandably, Andrea's great-grandmother, grandmother and mother taught Andrea that sometimes intentionally or even unintentionally, they taught her to carry deep mistrust, fear, and even rage towards white people. But Andrea said that these patterns, these emotions, beliefs, and habits didn't quite feel like her burden to carry. She hadn't had the direct experiences that justified these feelings, and yet, there they were. I call these patterns intergenerational dramas of the traumas. When a drama, when a trauma, excuse me, is experienced in one generation, the dramas are the unprocessed behaviors, mindsets, emotional patterns that get passed down from generation to generation through words, actions, emotions, and even physical dis-ease. I was raised with whoopings and beatings. These were tactics that were also used by slave owners to dehumanize and control enslaved persons. I believe that my family's intention was to teach and protect, but the mode used to teach whoopings and beatings was an intergenerational drama a behavior and belief passed down and played out across generations in my family. Andrea was lucky. She knew that her mistrust, rage, judgments, and reactions came from her great-grandmother. She was able to see the red drama thread that ran through her family's legacy. But many of us don't have that context. All we have access to are the dramas or the patterns that we see running through our lives that don't quite make sense. Even with this insight, 
Andrea was clueless on how to heal the trauma that wasn't hers since she'd never been enslaved. But she could deal with the dramas, those behaviors, mindsets, and emotional patterns that were passed down from her great-grandmother's generation. Now, you may be thinking, well, this is depressing. Jeez. But know this. The intergenerational dramas, the mindsets and patterns that we received as a result of the traumas our foremothers and fathers endured are not the only things passed down. Remember, strength, resilience, creativity, community are all passed down and stored in what I like to call our inner lighthouse. When recognized, embraced, shined with intention, its light can guide us and those around us towards trauma healing. One of the consequences of not dealing with our personal traumas and dramas or transforming that intergenerational trauma is that we continue to pass them down to our children and loved ones. Another dynamic that we also pass down is what I like to call family stable misery. So I've given you examples of race, and now I'm going to look at examples of how intergenerational drama can play out and impact your ability to be the parent to your LGBTQIA child, the parent that your child needs you to be. Now, as you listen to these stories, be mindful that some may feel very close to things you experienced within yourself. In other cases, you may find yourself going through judgment of, how could this parent possibly behave that way? But I want to encourage you to stay open and ask yourself, how are these stories revealing where my family's traumas and dramas are showing up between myself and my child? My client, Robbie, identifies as queer, and he's out to everyone in the world but his parents. Robbie spoke to me about how he's happy in every area of his life, except in his relationship with his parents. Robbie described his relationship with them as surface. Though he was pretty sure his parents knew that his roommate was more than just a roommate, Robbie said that he felt the kindest thing he could do for them was to let them stay in their false delusion that he was normal. Robbie was afraid of rejection and being shamed by his family. As a result, his relationship with his parents never really felt safe. Robbie couldn't be who he truly was when he was with his parents. Their relationship was not authentic or fulfilling, but it was predictable and familiar. This is family-stable misery. Predictable and familiar, but unfulfilling and inauthentic. If you can relate to stable misery in your family, know that there is no blame or fault to be laid out here. Evolution has literally wired our brains to favor staying familiar over seeking fulfillment every single time because familiar is safe and predictable. We're wired that way, but we don't have to stay that way. As I continue to work with Robbie, I learned that this pattern of family stable misery was not surprising. You see, Robbie's uncle was outed to Robbie's grandfather by another relative. Robbie's grandfather, in return, horribly shamed and rejected his uncle. Now, witnessing this, Robbie learned 
very early that gay was not okay in his family. And this literal rejection led Robbie and his parents to feel safer and stable misery than in authentic connection with one another. It's this passive acceptance of unhelpful patterns that perpetuates drama of stable misery from one generation to the next. And it's these patterns from which we need to unleash ourselves. Only after you unleash yourself from this legacy of family dramas can you become the lighthouse or the beacon that warns and guides for the next generation. Now, PATHS is an acronym that I created for five pathways that you can use to truly transform your relationship and legacy dramas. PATHS stands for perspective, awareness, tools, healing, and self-empowerment. Now, as children, we picked up helpful and then some unhelpful patterns. The perspective pathway invites us to ask ourselves two questions to shift the unhelpful patterns. The first question is, what vision do I deeply want to actualize in my relationship with my child? What do I want our relationship to look like? And once you have that vision, the second question is, what stories in my head perpetuate these dramas? How do they get in the way of or block the vision that I've created for my relationship with my child. I was sitting in my office with two lovely parents, Paul and Sharon, whose son Mikey had just come out to them as queer. Now it was clear that they loved their child more than anything in the world, but they were raised with a worldview, a perspective that was putting a huge boulder between them and Mikey. When Mikey came out, Paul and Sharon thought they could reconcile their conservative by beliefs by telling Mikey, it's fine. We always love the sinner and just hate the sin. In other words, they would love him, but hate the part of him that displayed gay behaviors. Mikey was outraged. And his parents were really struggling to understand why. They thought they had come up with a perfect solution. But through our work, Paul and Sharon began to shift their perspective. They began to realize that the phrase love the sinner, hate the sin was a microaggression or a brief statement or behavior that indicates a negative or hostile attitude towards a marginalized group. It became clear to them that their son felt anything but love from them when they used phrases such as this towards him. He told them, being queer is not a behavior. It's a part of my very being. So if you hate my queerness, then you're telling me that you hate a part of me and that hurts. This conversation led Paul and Sharon to have a small shift in perspective. They realized how painful the phrase love the sin or hate the sin was to Mikey. Mikey also had a small shift in perspective. He was able to understand that his parents' microaggressive stance was intergenerational, a passive acceptance of an unhelpful belief that his parents were raised to carry and repeat again and again as a way to reconcile their religious beliefs with their desire to withhold judgment against the queer community and ultimately against their son. These small shifts allowed Paul, Sharon, and Mikey 
to re-enter into and stay in communication so they could learn from, heal, and continue to guide one another. Sonia, another client, came to me very upset when she learned that the daughter she birthed was transgendered and wanted to be called Aaron. Sonia would sit in my office and shout, I birthed Angel, not Aaron. Sonia was coming to me because she couldn't figure out how to get past her shock, anger, and resentment towards her daughter, who was transitioning and was now her son. Sonia said that growing up, she'd always dreamed of having a daughter, so there was a lot of grief that she had to face. Sonia had a breakthrough, and one day I said, Sonia, close your eyes and imagine Let's say you had an opportunity to have your relationship with Aaron be just the way you want it. You could have it all your way. What do you see? Sonia imagined them laughing and traveling together, Aaron telling her about his life. Then I asked, are the stories you're telling yourself about Aaron helping or hurting your movement towards that vision? Sonia began bawling because she realized that her stories and beliefs were pushing her away from her son and blocking her vision from becoming a reality. Sonia's stories were things like, everyone will judge him and he'll be in danger. Everyone will judge me. I don't want to have to carry this burden. I feel like my little girl is dying. What if Aaron is so different that I can't recognize or relate to him? Sonia also felt guilty for having these thoughts about her son. But I encouraged Sonia to imagine herself not just as one person, but as a person with many parts. You know how you say, like, part of me wants to do this, but another part of me really wants to do that. Then I invited her to take the perspective that while some parts of her carried thoughts like, Aaron is wrong, I can't support this, other parts of her had a deep desire to walk with and support herself. This gave Sonia a sense of relief and hope in her ability to transform her dramas and strengthen her connection with Aaron. During our time together, Sonia became deeply aware of how her stories were impacting the way she showed up with Aaron. She also became a master at reframing and questioning the truth of those stories. Through it all, Sonia's vision was her main source of motivation. More specifically, her vision strengthened her deep desire to transform the intergenerational dramas and beliefs she carried so that she could create her vision with Aaron and make it a reality. Last I heard from Sonia, seriously, she and Aaron were planning a trip to Mexico together, which was a huge part of her vision. <laughs> As you see through Sonia's story, when we truly seek to transform the intergenerational dramas that block the relationship we want to have with our children, we have to start with a clear vision and the stories we're carrying about our children and about ourselves. Once we're clear about the stories in our head, we've got to get clear about the feelings and body sensation those stories bring up within us. This is where the second pathway, awareness, comes in handy. And there's an old saying that goes, nothing likes being buried alive. And that includes feelings. 
Darlene, whose daughter came out as lesbian, learned very young to bury her feelings. Darlene was raised in a home where vulnerable feelings were not only discouraged, they were a liability. And that liability often led to shaming and sometimes pain. As a result, Darlene spent much of her life repeating emotional drama patterns that left her smiling on the outside, but full of resentment and tense muscles on the inside. In one of our sessions, Darlene said, I'm telling my daughter, I accept you. I love you. But in reality, I have all these feelings that I don't want to talk about. Darlene was burying anxiety, fear, anger, grief. She fantasized about her daughter's life going one way with a husband and children and, of course, a white picket fence and a yippy little dog. And was grieving the possibility that many of those fantasies may not play out the way that she imagined. Darlene also wrestled with feeling burdened. She would say, now I have to navigate around myself, my family, my neighbors. Now I have work to do and I don't even know where to begin. Darlene's habit of faking and burying feelings that didn't feel so good wasn't working with her daughter. You see, Darlene's daughter knew her mother's tricks and demanded that her mother stop playing those old drama patterns and be real with her for once in her life. Eventually, Darlene began having vulnerable conversations with her daughter where she allowed her uncomfortable feelings above ground. At one point, Darlene actually told her daughter, look, you've had 20 years to reconcile this. I'm going to need more than two minutes. During one of our last sessions, Darlene invited her daughter in to session, and it was one of the most powerful healing experiences I've witnessed in my 20 plus years in this field. Darlene celebrated her daughter's courage to accept herself so fully by coming out and actually told her daughter, by having the courage to come out, you've literally helped me to transform our intergenerational drama of ignoring difficult feelings out of fear of what others may think. Darlene's work is a great example of how walking the pathway of awareness and accepting our feelings can help us transform our intergenerational traumas and break free from stable misery. Regardless of where you are in your child's coming out journey, own your feelings. Notice your body sensations. They are not liabilities. They are simply beams from your inner lighthouse illuminating your path and guiding you towards the stories and the beliefs that parts of you are carrying in that moment. Some of those stories don't feel so good, but burying those feelings alive only makes them more intense and determined to bust through and take a fresh breath of air. Remember, nothing likes being buried alive, and that includes feelings. If you have thoughts that leave you feeling uncomfortable, shame, or torn within yourself, process them with someone safe. And then once you get some distance from them, consider using your awareness the way Darlene did when she shared her feelings with her daughter. Use those feelings as a part of the process between you and your child. We all carry tools within us. We're always using those tools in our relationships. Taking time to explore our tools leads us down the third pathway. 
The question is never, am I using a tool? It's always, is the tool I'm using helpful or unhelpful? You see, yelling is a tool. Taking five deep breaths is a tool. You may be wondering, is yelling really a tool? Yes, it's actually a really effective tool. Let me tell you, the times I did yell at my kids, they knew to move fast. It did the job, but it didn't do the ultimate job, which was creating and maintaining our connection. The tools we use are inextricably linked to how we show up in our relationships. We're not aware of the stories we're telling ourselves, and we're not aware of our feelings and our body sensations, let alone using them to our advantage. We act out in reactionary ways that are unhelpful. If I'm not owning my personal feelings or the stories that I carry around my child's coming out process, specifically the ones that don't feel so great, then I may unintentionally show up and use tools such as yelling or shame or passive aggression or silence to deal with the discomfort. The behavioral tools we rely on in our relationships are powerful ways that intergenerational dramas show up in our lives and are passed on to the next generation. A common way that tools are passed down to our children is through modeling. So if I yell when I'm angry, as an adult, my child is more likely to yell when they're angry. If I model passive aggression towards my partner when I'm hurt, my child is more likely to be passive aggressive when they're hurt. Also, the more reactive or automatic our most unhelpful tools, the more disconnect, confusion, and resentment they can create between us and our child. This is what happened with Darlene and her daughter. Darlene's daughter was telling Darlene that since she came out to her, Darlene was being really passive aggressive, more than usual. Darlene was floored because she didn't think she was at all. She was trying really hard. But as we uncovered Darlene's stories and feelings, she realized that when she feels similar uncomfortable feelings in other relationships, her automatic reaction is to get passive aggressive. Darlene's mother actually modeled the same passive aggressive tool for Darlene. So once Darlene recognized and owned her use of this passive aggressive tool, she was able to hear her daughter and own that she was indeed making unhelpful comments towards her, but with a smile on her face. No judgment. Darlene's tool made absolute sense. She was ultimately angry towards her daughter for burdening her. At the same time, she deeply wanted her daughter to feel comfortable and accepted. Her passive aggression was a perfect tool. It was the path of least resistance, but it was also an unhelpful path. Now, you may be wondering, how do I tell if a tool is helpful or unhelpful? I mean, yelling may be a super helpful tool if my child's walking, you know, in front of an oncoming car. Point taken. You can tell if a tool is helpful or unhelpful with one question. Does this tool bring me closer to or push me further away from the vision I ultimately want to create with my child? If the answer is it brings me closer to, then it's helpful. If not, then it's unhelpful. So take a moment and think, what tools do you use towards your child when you're feeling discomfort? telling yourself uncomfortable stories, or feeling overwhelmed. Does this tool bring you closer to 
or further from your vision. So we've covered the P, the A, and the T, perspective, awareness, and tools. And again, you can grab this entire roadmap along with specific activities to help you practice each path at HealingStableMisery.com. So you don't have to write it all down right now. But let's move on to the H, the healing pathway. We often don't realize it, but things that happen in our past can impact how we show up in our present relationships. A good sign for this is when we treat a laser beam situation with an atom bomb solution. So our kid talks back and we respond as if they just intentionally burned the house down. Also, things that need to be healed, like intergenerational dramas, are often much older than our children. But they impact our relationship with our children as if they happened yesterday. This is why it's important that we focus on healing our stuff. It keeps that stuff where it belongs in the past. The S stands for self-empowerment. When we're caught in intergenerational dramas, it can feel as if we lack power over our responses, especially when we overreact towards those we love. Going back to Darlene, she felt controlled by her passive-aggressive overreactions. Or my client, whose great-grandmother was enslaved, she felt emotionally disempowered and controlled by her fears and mistrust. These were both dramas they inherited, but the initial trauma, Andrea's great-grandmother's enslavement, for example, wasn't hers. So when she used unhelpful tools in key relationships that played out these unhelpful patterns, she felt frustrated with herself. Here's the thing. We always have power in a situation. Even if you're stuck in a sleeping bag with a broken zipper and bed bugs, <laughs> you still have choice. The ability to use your voice and, and call your camping buddies for help, or maybe you could stand up and hop to the store <laughs> for some bed bug repellent, right? We always have choice and power. When you find yourself in your reactions leashed to some old dramas, it's likely a sign that you're feeling disempowered in some way. So ask yourself this key question. Where is my power in this moment? It's there. Just ask the question, maybe close your eyes and wait for the answer. So I began our time together speaking about the ways in which the slavery drama patterns of whippings and beatings were passed down from generation to generation in my family. As a lighthouse, I made the decision to guide my children in a new direction that they will hopefully use when raising their children. It's not always easy. There are times when what I like to call the four horsemen, pain, blame, shame, and avoidance, come galloping up to my door and offer their parenting services. But as a lighthouse for my legacy, I can choose to use the PATHS framework instead. I want to take you back again, a little over a decade ago. My sister was now 12. I'm still older than her. She's still my little sister. And we had one of those days where she wanted to do what she wanted to do. She wanted to hang out with her cousin, and she was afraid that we'd say no. So she created this elaborate lie where she told me one thing, my aunt something else, my cousin something else. If I hadn't been so angry, I would have been impressed, to be honest. 
But once she left, we started talking to each other and we realized what she did. So I promptly called my cousin and I asked her, could you please bring my sister back home? Now I had a choice at that moment. Was I going to be leashed to my legacy and repeat what happened in my grandmother's kitchen all those years ago? Or was I going to be a lighthouse for my little sister and myself? That lighthouse, that, that beacon that warns and guides so that together we could transform our intergenerational journey. I decided it was time to retire that old drama and walk a new path. So I asked, what's my vision? How do I want this to end? I saw myself talking to her close up, nodding and her understanding, right? And me understanding her perspective. I saw her sad, but nodding back and understanding my perspective. I saw us hugging at the end. I got clear on my story, the stories I was telling myself. She's manipulative and ungrateful. I tuned into my emotions and body sensations that the story created. Sadness, resentment, shame, manipulated. My shoulders, they were tense. My stomach was tight. In terms of tools, I knew that if I followed my legacy leash, I would have yelled and shamed and probably ignored her for quite a while, which would have left me feeling righteous, but her feeling more shame. Honesty moment, that was my first instinct. But I knew that when I was younger, this leashed pattern of shame led to disconnection. And if I was disconnected from her, I'd learn nothing about her motivation, and she sure as heck wouldn't learn anything from me. My inner legacy lighthouse illuminated and guided me down a more helpful route. I gave myself time to calm down, and I created a new story. She's 12. She made a stupid mistake. This is an opportunity for me to teach. And I went up to her room, and with my vision of understanding in mind, I didn't talk at her. I talked with her. Instead of using the leashed tools I'd used when she was two threats and yelling, I chose more lighthouse-friendly tools. Curiosity, empathy, stepping back. We ended up having a powerful conversation, and my vision was actualizing. We were nodding together and understanding each other. Lighthouse for the win. In that moment together, my little sister and I transformed an inherited drama, an unhelpful pattern that for generations created a stable misery pattern of disconnect, shame, and pain. We chose a new legacy that I was proud to live with my sister and will now leave for my children. Now, when I tell my children how I was disciplined growing up, they can't comprehend it. The mere thought of someone hitting a child they love feels so foreign to them. I made a conscious choice to shine a light and guide them in a new direction. Again, I'd be lying if I said it was the easiest thing I'd ever done. But it was one of the most rewarding. As you think about who you want to be, to your child moving forward. There might've been stories today that connected with you or that hurt you because you saw yourself in them. In other cases, maybe you're congratulating yourself and thinking at least I haven't done what Darlene, Sharon, Paul, and Sonia did. Yet my hunch is 
whether it's come to light or not, there's dramas that you've inherited from your family. So I invite you to take time to think about what those dramas might be for you and then take these basic strategies, tool, perspective, awareness, tools, healing, and self-empowerment and use them to unleash from your intergenerational dramas and illuminate your legacy lighthouse. Do this so you can create new patterns in your relationships with your children and the next generation. Do this so that the next generation will pass on these new ways of being to future generations. Do this and then rejoice with your ancestors as they celebrate you for making your family's legacy even brighter. Thank you. I want to know, first of all, <laughs> for those of us with teenagers in the audience, is there a way that we can know, like, how do we, you're not going to have a quick answer to this, but how do we determine my child's being triggered and there's an issue going on and we need to go get some help versus my child is a teenager and being a jerk? Mm, yeah. The most powerful thing that you can do, honestly, is to sit down and have a conversation with your child about it. Have okay. especially your teen because they are old enough to be able to communicate, right? And I always believe that if you're going to bring in someone like a coach or a therapist, especially when we're talking about teens, it's important that they're on board. So if you sit down with your teen and you say, look, I'm noticing this pattern that keeps repeating itself again and again. I don't know what to do. I feel like we're living in stable misery together, <sighs> right? My thought is, Maybe we need to get some help. What do you think? How are you, what do you think is, is going on? And how do you think we can, we can deal with this, right? Yeah. So again, like I was talking about with my sister, coming up with a solution with, as opposed to creating a solution for. Okay. They'll be able to communicate with you and tell you. Now, let's say your teen's like, I'm fine. You're crazy. I don't like you. Go away, blah, 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 blah. Then you can choose to go get help. This is where self-empowerment comes in, right? You can choose to say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to someone because I, I'm at a loss on what to do next. Yeah. The other clue is if you find the pattern, the same pattern repeating again and again and again, and no matter what you try, you just keep falling down the same path in terms of how you're responding. That might also be a good sign that, okay, maybe I need to get some help. And that's why I created the Trigger to Transform program, because a lot of parents, like we get triggered and all that book knowledge that you have, it just is like nowhere to be found because your frontal lobe is shut down and you can't access it, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so you can empower yourself to move on to the next step. Um, depending on on where you are and what your teen says. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. You brought up and you gave us an incredible tool to deal with when someone in our life, or if we are saying this, the whole hate the sin, love the sinner thing. Thank you. Another thing that I feel like this entire room could use help with and verbiage and words is, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. And there's, we're either dealing with that on the receiving end, or we are parents who are saying that and are not understanding why that's not enough. I told you, I love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it's often because the behaviors don't necessarily align 
with those words, right? So the behaviors or other words or things like that aren't always connecting with the words of, you know, I love you unconditionally, you know? And also it could be a little microaggressive because it's sort of like, usually when you're like, no matter what, also kind of has this level of like, okay, even if you did this thing, I love you no matter what, right? Like, mm-hmm. like sort of like, if you wouldn't say that if they became like valedictorian, mom, I'm valedictorian. Oh, I love you no matter what. Like that wouldn't work. Like that doesn't make sense, right? So it's sort of the what does that mean exactly? You know? So realizing, I think it's important, this is where perspective comes in for us as parents to realize like, what are the stories in our head that's guiding that? Because with most microaggressions, the intention is there. Yeah. The impact is sends us off the cliff, right? So realizing like, what's the intention or what are the stories in my head that are behind? Like, how do I really feel about what my child is telling me right now? Let me be honest about that for myself. And then from that space, communicate, right? Wow. Yes. Because I think we get in this trap, especially if, as parents or loved ones of people that are coming out to us and being honest and authentic with us, we get in this trap of like, okay, this is a really intense moment. We're both going to remember this for the rest of our lives. I cannot screw this up. I'm just going to say, I love you no matter what. I love you. Cause that could be the only thing that's going to come out of my mouth that doesn't hurt them. And then we realize later, oh crap, it hurt them. Yes. Exactly. And, and, you know, going back to the example that I gave, like of, of, with Darlene of keeping those lines of communication open, as long as the communication is open and there's breath in our bodies, we can always repair. We can mm-hmm. always repair. Right. So being open and hearing our children when they say like Robbie did, like, that's not helpful. Actually, it's extremely unhelpful. It's having the exact opposite effect, being able to hear that. Right. And, and understand that this is a process. This is a process that the entire family is going through. Right. And if you screw up, if you say something, okay, fine, but be open to repairing it. A lot of times we can get into defensive mode. Well, I didn't mean that. That's not what I listen to the impact, right? Get your intention, but focus on the impact that your child is telling you that that had on them and work from that space. Yes. With your vision in mind of where you ultimately want to be. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fascinating question in the chat and we're going to kind of wrap it up with this so that everyone can get to their next tracks. Um, they said, as a child who wants to help their elders, who is now seeing their cracks, dysfunctionalities more fully for the first time as an adult, what advice do you have to see the lighthouse in them more than their darkness? Mm. So seeing the lighthouse and the elders. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, I think the most powerful thing that we can do two things. One is realize, I, I talked a little bit about it in the talk, realizing that we are made up of many parts, right? And that is just one part of them especially if you have experienced other parts, let's say of a grandmother or grandfather, you've experienced other parts of them that you love and are extremely helpful, really, you know, and, and realizing there's just one part of them that holds this belief, but there are many other parts of them. And what 
it might require is that for a while you focus on connecting just with those parts that are helpful and that are loving and, you know, and that are, that are, that, that feed you in a, in a good way. The other thing is baby steps, you know, realizing like the client I mentioned where she was like, look, you've had 20 years to deal with this. I've had two minutes. I'm going to need a little bit more time than that. Right. So realizing it might take baby steps to really get them to a point where they can um, not say hurtful things. Right. (laughs) That might be one baby step. Right. Yeah. And the third thing I would say is take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. If you need to pull back from a family event or not talk to this person for a while, like make that okay for yourself as much as you can, but protect yourself, protect your energy, make sure you have support from other family members, other communities, so that you can be fed and that you can heal from any drama patterns that do happen to pop up and realize it's not your responsibility to transform this person, right? It's not your, especially our elders, it's not our responsibility to transform them, but we can, we can feel empathy towards them and realize like they were raised in a context. These beliefs, these patterns, like they were, they're there for a reason. They came from somewhere, you know, and being able to sit with that can be helpful, but also protect your heart. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I personally am taking away from this is that as a parent and as a daughter, right, I am in this dual role and recognizing that there's intergenerational trauma at play in all of my relationships, my relationships with my parents, my relationships with my kids, my relationships with my partner. There's intergenerational trauma at play and that I can find it by being aware of the drama. Yes. Boom. 100%. You nailed it. That would have seemed just like 30 minutes, Elena. You should have just got up here and just Bam. <laughs> no, those are incredible tools. Like I feel like my really important relationships are going to shift in a major way because of this one talk. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm su- such an honor to be here. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Dr. Willis is in the room and y'all, we have incredible people in the room all day long. Look at your chat, click on show chat and you can send a private message to anyone in the room. So even if you're in a quiet room, if you're not in a public area where you get to talk to people, you can still send them a message and you can say, I'd love to pick your brain or I'd love to learn from you. Or are you taking clients? (laughs) That's going to be one of my questions. (laughs) So so use that feature all day long, everybody. Thank you so much, Dr. Willis. This is lovely. Thank you all for being here. So good. Okay, fam, let's get real. Did anyone else bristle at this idea of holding space for family members that have hurt us to allow them to take, quote, baby steps? The minute I hear someone tell me that, and again, let's be real, it's usually my therapist, I immediately respond with something like, okay, I am not asking my family member to march in a pride parade with me or write their senator or really anything. I am literally just asking them to be kind to me and not hurt me. Why does that take baby steps? And like everything in life, it's more nuanced than that. I have found, speaking strictly for myself, 
that I have to create some incredibly strong boundaries. Boundaries that include saying to people whom I love and I know love me, what you just said hurt me. I know that wasn't your intent, but it was the impact and you need to know. And I keep repeating that for as long as I have capacity, which sometimes is only once. What you just said hurt me, and I don't have capacity for that today. I'll catch up with you later. Or sometimes I can repeat it three or four times in a single day, which is usually when they start to listen and gain some awareness of the pain they are causing. But creating and holding those boundaries is both one of the hardest things I do, but also, fam, and I'm being so sincere, it's the biggest act of self-love that I do. Every time I hold that boundary, especially with someone dear to me, I can feel my inner vulnerable self sigh with happiness, knowing that I'm protecting us from further harm. It's like I'm rebuilding my own trust, that I won't be putting myself in repeated situations that hurt me just to keep the family peace, you know? My self-love has grown by leaps and bounds, putting that boundary into practice. So my family members can take their baby steps. But they can also trust that when they hurt me, I will be letting them know. And I would expect the same from them. I hope this was helpful. I appreciate you, fam. Be good to yourselves. 